And it's like I told Wit after the first two years, you hired me for what's about to come. Because what's about to come is the hard part. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I don't know if I could follow that one up. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. Pete, nobody's <laughs> looking at your tweets. I love our guys. I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot stop fighting the good fight. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Get you somebody not... that loves spruce tips as much as Pete does. Why did I pick Pitt to cover 14 points against NC State? I'm moron. Do we need to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility? 100%. I want to know what you're drinking, Rob. It is roasty goodness, even though I was What's out. What's the percent on that? 11. Smells like you're drinking like a cleaning solution. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. The end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Well, here we are again, Robbie. Why Why does it always have to be like this? It always Another program-altering like loss in terms of our reputation. How are you feeling tonight? Um, I'm feeling better because we recorded last night, and I'll give a cheers really quickly. Uh, cheers to Pete. For being so patient with uh, me screwing up our first recording. Hey, we were due for one, man. It's been a couple years. Know, if you do this a... long enough, you're going to lose a podcast here and there. We did, and uh, I feel bad about it. But also, Hendon Hooker, I hit it on it last night. The guy played his nuts off. It was actually an incredible game. His stats are through the roof, and uh, a big cheers to Hendon Hooker and what he did for this team, all the players, but Hendon Hooker especially. Cheers. Yeah, unfortunately, VT lost to Liberty 38-35. to It was a really tough watch, and we're going to get into all the details. Uh, like Robbie said, we're, we're kind of doing this over again, and we're under a little bit more of a time constraint tonight. So we're going to uh, still give you an hour-long podcast probably, but we're going to kind of move through it as best we can. And that'll be merciful, I think, for the listeners because um, it's not something we want to dwell too too much on, but we have to get into Fuente. We have to get into the decision-making and all that stuff. So let's hop into the news and notes. AP poll is out. Bama's the new number one. Notre Dame is up to two after they beat Clemson, and Clemson dropped to four. Miami, our upcoming opponent, moved up to number nine. So we got a top 10 team coming into Blacksburg this weekend. And Liberty, the team that just beat us, is now number 22 in the polls. Uh, that top 10 opponent we have coming in, that some of the wind is taken out of the sails of that matchup, I think. <laughs> I think it probably is. But it no matter what, it's always a big matchup against Miami. So we can all be excited for it, regardless of your thoughts about this past weekend. Yeah, let's do the player update. Waller and Murray started at corner. That was nice to get Waller back there. Dak started over Tisdale at backer. Gallo started for Mitchell, and we lost Herbert right after the opening kickoffs. And so we didn't have Herbert, Mitchell, or Ashby for most of the game. Ashby went out with a knee thing at some point. And so we were, we thought we were finally getting all the way healthy, and all of a sudden we get a few surprises on game day. That didn't, that didn't help anything, but it still shouldn't have been a game we should lose, in my personal opinion. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And it, we'll get through that in, 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 in the upcoming comments, but it really stinks about Ashby and Mitchell and, and some of and the Herbert situation. It's just It just sucks not to see him out on the field because it's so fun to just watch him run. It really is. It's the most fun thing to watch about the team, and Hooker's a very close second. But let's hop into the game recap this Liberty game, it never felt like we were in control. And maybe people felt otherwise, but I certainly didn't feel that way. They got out to a 7-0 lead on their first drive thanks to a third down penalty and their first of four fourth down conversions. A couple drives later, we answered with a field goal. Liberty answered that with a touchdown. And so it was 14-3. to And that sinking feeling that we are going to lose was so strong. I, I kind of thought it was over right then. Yeah, I, I wasn't watching the game. Like I said, I was out hiking uh, on my anniversary date with my wife, and I came back, and it didn't look good. Very, it didn't look good at all. We were heading. <laughs> it's not to a good a way to start your anniversary, right there. Yeah, and we were on the way back to the brewery, and then and then things started to take a little bit more shape for yeah. a, a chance at a win. We fought back. We got the TD pass to Gallo. It was nice for him to get his first touchdown. We got the TD run by Hooker, 
and we were suddenly on top, 17-14. to 14. Then after that, Liberty's driving in our end. Uh, Malik Willis goes back to pass, and he, he seems to throw an incomplete pass, but it kind of looked like a fumble. Connor picks it up, starts running towards the end zone. It's going to be a scoop and score. Whistles come out. They blow it dead. They say it was an incomplete pass. They review it, and they realize that they screwed up. They give us the clear recovery, but we lose the touchdown. That was absolutely brutal. Then we had a chance to go up 10 still before the half because we drove all the way down the field after that fiasco. We're inside the five with four seconds left, and we decide we're going to kick a field goal instead of going for the touchdown as time is going to run out. I didn't think that you were too happy with that. (laughs) I'll take the heat. People don't like it. I still stick by the fact that that we should have gone for it. Yeah, and I want to get more into that later. So it was 20-14 to at the half after we kicked the field goal. Liberty had a long drive in the third that led to the 19-yard run by Willis. They went up 21-20. They scored again in the fourth on the pass to Huntley to make it 28-20. We answered with a touchdown pass to Caleb Smith. That was a really big play, and we converted the two-point conversion to tie it up. They answered with a run by Pickett. They took the touchdown lead. But with 52 seconds left, Hooker made the 12-yard pass to Trey Turner, and we tied it at 35. Unfortunately, then, we had the last sequence. They line up for a 59-yard kick. It's blocked. Waller picks it up and runs it back. Another scoop and score. We win. But we didn't win. (laughs) It got called back because Fuente called a timeout right before the kick. Gets taken off the board. We come out of the timeout in a prevent with eight seconds left. They get a quick eight, nine yards set up for a 51-yard kick this time. And the kicker hits it. Liberty wins 38-35, and they celebrated on our field. It's one of the craziest endings I've ever seen in any football game. And a lot of the podcasts I've been listening to this week have said that exact same thing and and have not minced words when it comes to our head coach and his decision-making. I, I did agree with French today said, that's such a weird outcome for like Fuente to call that timeout because he was calling the timeout and I'm not trying to like be a Fuente lover or whatever the case may be, but it was actually interesting to think about a lot of people call that timeout and he did. It just happened to be a horrific timeout. My problem is, is that that timeout didn't allow Jay ham to have his timeout on the opposite side of the field. And we put out, if you actually keep going with it, the worst defensive scheme that I've ever seen in my entire life when somebody's going to go kick a field goal for 51 yards. There was nobody within 10, 15 yards of him. And, you know, Kirshner put out a very good picture. You saw it. I saw it of how far away people were from where the ball was actually going. And everybody knew where the ball was going. They were going to go over to the left and it's just eight seconds is a long time. You have time to get a playoff and get a chunk of yards. And when it's coming down to a field goal, I don't know what they were thinking. And I will hammer him for that timeout because you can ice a kicker. Sure. A lot of coaches do it when it's 59 yards. There is no need to ice a kicker. In fact, I was yelling at the TV, please, God, let them go through with this kick. Cause I thought they were going to like fake it or something because it's such a low probability, and basically all that can happen is something can go wrong. Either you're going to kick it short and we can get a return, or you're going to get it blocked, and we got That's it right. blocked. And so, yeah, under normal circumstance, sure, ice the kicker. I don't, but 59 yards, like you have to, you are hoping they're going to do it. You don't want to let them the second guess doing it. And of course, after they see it get blocked, they're not going to kick it again. Well, no, and, 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 and I do agree is with a good you. coach. Yeah. He, he's smart enough to know that like, he got like a free, he got like a free play off of something that was stupid and, and we he adjusted. It. And that's we, the part. We had a stupid play and we compounded it with an even stupider play. Like that is, and it was because sad. with the block, and you call the timeout, but the timeout's going. So then you do the block. Everyone runs through. No one knows what's happening, and you have to get back. And like, then you're screwed for the defensive side, like you said. So it's it really did compound on itself. But it doesn't still doesn't make the excuse to come out of the timeout in that formation. I I don't know what the defense was doing. Uh, the story of the game for me, we're already into it, but it was the poor effort to start, the execution overall. 
and the coaching decisions and basically the entire game of coaching. That was the story of my game was bad coaching, poor execution, poor effort. Uh, And despite how well we've played at times this year, did you feel like this was a damn break moment for the perception of the coaching staff? People are going to get mad at me, but I felt like the actual, the field goal at the end of the half was the damn break moment. That was the (laughs) moment that I, I, people won't like that. That's fine. You, You can yell at me, scream at me, but that was the damn break moment where we're conceding on the one yard line with a really good quarterback that has a really good offensive line that could run up the middle and just get one yard to get a touchdown. And you knew the defense was not playing that well. It just, it just is so mind blowing to me that you thought that that was the right choice. Yeah. Okay. You don't chase points. I get it. Fuck off. Okay. It's not about chasing. (laughs) It's Liberty. And you have the the offensive line. Like you said to me, I agree with you. It showed that we were scared. We looked scared for most of the first half and was also inconsistent because on the first drive, we do that stupid ass trick play that gets blown up and loses a ton of yardage. And then you're less aggressive in the second quarter when you're on the one freaking yard line. Like to me, it just showed no balls. And it was like, yeah, you're not trying to win. You're trying not to lose. And I, I disagreed with it too. The counter is that there was lots of time left in the game. And I get it. You're up six. If you kick another field goal, then you're up nine, which is worth, you know, a full touchdown and a a two point conversion. And you're safe. So we're playing for field goals now. I'm just giving you the counter. I'm not saying I agree with it. I know. I know you're, you're doing the counter, but that's why I'm cutting you off is that this is what (laughs) pisses me off is like, that's the counters. So now we're just playing for field goals against Liberty. Right. Okay. Every fan that's listening to this can actually agree. If we're playing for field goals against Liberty, there is a bigger systemic problem in this program than you could ever imagine. Like mm-hmm. this is actually a really big problem. So a hundred percent agree with the counterpoint, but it shouldn't be against Liberty. That would be fine against Clemson, but that does not work in this particular instance because it was Liberty. And also, you're, look at the defensive line you're going up against. I mean, it's you're right. If it's Clemson's defensive line and you're on the one and you need points, it's a different situation. It just is. And to me, you could have shown your team, listen, we're going out to win this game. We're going to score this touchdown. I believe in you guys. And it didn't happen. The biggest overarching point is they just weren't prepared. So you could say we lost at the end. You could say we lost because we didn't go for it. But we lost that game in the first quarter. I mean, we were not prepared, not ready to play. They were pushing us around. They're a good rushing team, so I'll give them some credit. We've had our problems stopping anybody in the run, but it, you can't get down 14-3 to to Liberty. We, I didn't think we would sleepwalk. They were ranked, and they, they came in here um, two touchdown underdogs. I get that, but it's an in-state team, and they're ranked. Like We talked about in our preview. You should be ready, and they weren't ready, and they don't have the talent, and they don't have the depth. And they still beat us all day long in our own house. Like, that is an embarrassment. It is an absolute embarrassment. I'll be quick with my takeaways. Malik Willis played a great game, an absolute talent. So credit to him. He did a lot in that game. And to your point, we just weren't prepared. We just weren't prepared to get punched in the face. And we did. And I I don't know... Usually I come out of these games as a, to just summarize everything. I come out of these games like, well, it's a lesson. It's a lesson. Yeah. Well, the only lesson in this game is this is going to happen again. Yeah. Absolutely. If you prepare your team this way on these weeks against these teams, against a Hugh Freeze, you and I have talked about it. Hugh Freeze is an absolute POS. But he is an amazing coach. If you could not figure out that this was going to be a tough game against Hugh Freeze, you're just not paying attention to football yeah. like at all because he is an amazing coach. He got his guys riled up. He got them fired up. They went into Lane Stadium, and they kicked our ass. And quite frankly, without the fumbles, then we would be down even more. And you could say that, oh, Robinson muffed a punt, whatever. Okay, so negate those things. They still kicked our ass in yes. this game, and it should have been more lopsided than the score actually showed. It really should have been. 
the offense did play well, and they actually moved up in the SP Plus this week from 13 to 10, 418 total yards for offense and uh, 7.2 yards per play, which is which is really nice. And the 35 points, it should be enough to beat Liberty. It it really should. We we said there's a good chance Liberty's going to score 30 points in this game. I didn't think they were going to get 38 or 40 points. And so it's it's insanely frustrating to have such a good offensive day without Herbert, without Mitchell, and still come up short because I thought Hooker and Trey really carried this team. The offensive line had a good day too. No tackles for loss given up, no sacks given up, That's right. uh, 201 rush yards. And and Hooker really put the team on his back. And it's nice to see that he can do that because we might be without Khalil Herbert going forward and into next year. He Herbert's probably heading to the draft. And oh, so definitely. it's nice to see Hooker be able to step up to the plate when needed, but he needs some help. And he needs some help on the defensive side of the ball. And we're trying to be quick through this, so I'll just hit it. The defensive tackling was abysmal. Yeah. It was actually embarrassing to see the angles that they were taking, the, the how they were getting juked, where you knew exactly where Willis was going to go. It was... The difference between Hooker and Willis is Hooker does it with just effort and good offensive line play. Willis was doing it on the outside, and just juking people into their shoes. Diablo Dude, got G- juked. Diablo. Like, <laughs> Diablo got juked two plays in a row. And that's the difference between Hooker's performance and Willis's performance. Hooker's performance was based on a really good offensive line, and he just rumbles through. Good decision-making, you know, yeah. a couple key jukes. But and yeah. Willis is an absolutely great athlete, a great quarterback, and I'm taking nothing away from him. But the tackling angles, everything just looked stupid. It was embarrassing. I looked well, at my wife. Well, when Willis drops the ball, the snap in the backfield, like two or three times in the game, and we can't grab him on any of those times, and he gains positive yardage, it was infuriating. And yes, he does deserve credit, but so many missed tackles, especially in the backfield. And we couldn't get off the field on third or fourth down. <laughs> we gave up four out of four fourth down attempts to them and six of 13 on third down. We can't afford to keep this defense on the field. They need to get off the field. And that was what the key play was all about. I mean, it's third down and maybe not having fans is killing us on that, but everyone's dealing with this. No. And so this defense just needs blame to be better. That. You yeah. cannot blame it on that. That that has no bearing on your preparation of your team to go out and play has no bearing on yeah. whether fans are in the stadium or not. Everybody's dealing with the same circumstances. And despite the 10 tackles, I mentioned Diablo getting juked, but he didn't have a great day. What's what's really annoys me about this game is I thought Ashby was playing awesome before yeah. he got injured. He was in the right gaps over and over again. He was really sticking the ball carrier a few times and he was he was having the best game of the year. So I, then, I'm I'm annoyed. That was a that was a huge blow. And I don't know what was going on with Dax starting and playing so long in front of Tisdale before Ashby went out. That seemed a little odd to me. Neither of them can tackle very well, which is the only thing. <laughs> like I I'm gonna Tisdale I, has his games I, where he's excellent, but yes, yeah. but this game he was terrible. The only player I thought that had a overall good game was Barno. He he was in there on a lot of plays. He had a couple tipped balls, two tackles for loss, and a sack, and a forced fumble. He came to play all day long, so I wanted I definitely want to shout him out. And uh, he's Paul, like number Paul two solid, in the ACC right now. Like in terms of like what he's doing on the defensive line, he's he's way up there in terms of PFF stats. Like he he is killing it. And Barno deserves an incredible amount of credit for how much effort he has put out on the field. And he's developed quickly too. Cause I, I didn't, like I've said in the past podcast, I did not expect him to be a huge contributor this year. And he's arguably our best defensive player. So he's, he's, he's doing, he's doing work out there. Um, right now on a per play basis, this defense is just as bad as the 2018 defense We're 98th in yards per play but the 6.39 yards per play given up is the exact same amount that we gave up per play in 2018 over the course of the year. And in 2018, we played William and Mary and Marshall on the schedule who, who both were not good teams. Uh, This defense is 
really struggling, very, very much so. And we talked about the little improvements. I didn't see a lot of little improvements in this one. Not not a whole lot of positive takeaways. Uh, we're a hundredth in average yards per rush allowed in the country, and so I I don't know when it's going to get better. Uh, I think Dak said today, like it's we're we're almost there. The scheme is finally starting to sink in for a lot. Of, okay, if that's true, you better do it quick because we got Miami coming up next. It's not sinking in; it's getting worse. <laughs> like like I. I'm not trying to be a dick, but it's it's getting worse every week. It, it was actually interesting. Well, I felt like Ashby was looking better. And then well, no, Ashby's hurt, so. one of my boys. Like yeah. I love how the way that he plays and his gap fits were not the way that they should have been early on. But I knew he was going to come around. There's no way that you can be a four-time ACC player of the like a week last mm-hmm. year and then not be able to have the athleticism. So that is actually a perfect segue into how hard it is to move into this new scheme. But you you read any article, you'll go through anybody that actually knows what they're talking about. And the tackling is horrific. The angle. And that's pursuits, fundamental. That has nothing to do with the scheme. And yeah. I guess that's what you were about to say. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the problem is, and Fuente said it during his press conference, that's something that we can't fix right now because you don't tackle usually during the middle of the season because you don't want to get people injured, especially when we're kind of banged up. So what that, that really comes down to effort. And I don't think a lot of those things, Murray has some problems. There's no doubt like the, the, he does not know. And Devin Taylor too, man. Yeah. Taylor. And they overcommit. They like they're looking to make the play versus just like get the tackle. I don't want you to make a play. I just want you to make the tackle. That's all I care about. Like, don't make the play that's cool, that's awesome. Like you stopped them at the, you know, with a one yard gain. I just don't want you to miss the tackle that leads to the six yard gain. That's the whole thing. They're overthinking what they should be doing. And it's extremely frustrating. Lack of physicality overall from the defense. And so this is it's it's gonna be a tough rest of the season because we're now four and three heading into the toughest part of our schedule. We got Miami, we got Pitt, we got UVA, we got Clemson. Like this is this is not looking good right now. And I and it's so weird because since that Duke loss, it's crazy how how much he's been able to turn people around. Cause it was about I want to say three quarters of the fan base was like, I'm done with this guy after the Duke loss. And he chipped away at it by winning games, going on a little streak, the back-to-back shutouts, positive play on both sides of the ball. And then the wake loss happened. And we were like, ah, it, it was a bad day, right? I mean, largely the fan base kind of was like, it's okay. It was a one-off. Um, and then we find ourselves in an even worse position two weeks later. He went from coach of the year. I think it was Pete Thamel or was it Pat Forty said he was going to be the coach of the year three weeks ago and went from that to like a lot of people would like him fired if there wasn't a buyout. And right. that, that that's so sad to see. And I get it. He made one wrong decision. But the problem is, is it wasn't the wrong the one decision, it wasn't the icing, the kicker, whatever, making sure you have the right people on the field kind of situation. It's a broader problem that I think we all have to digest and understand that like it is a broader problem than just that one play that everybody wants to put out on YouTube and like puts out on like Twitter and puts out that that actually wasn't the problem. The problem was, is that, we, they shouldn't have been in the game anyway. No. Period. Well, and someone worded it to me this way on Twitter. Like, the only thing that's consistent uh, with Virginia Tech football right now is inconsistency. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it's so true. We've now been fooled three times. ODU, uh, you know, it, we, we shouldn't have played the game at ODU. And, you know, Trevon Hill got kicked off the team after the game. And bad things. Josh Jackson got hurt. Okay. Duke worst home loss in school history in like the last 45 years 
But, you know, he turned it around after that, and now we're on better footing. And now Liberty. And I know they're ranked, but I haven't heard from one national podcast that used their ranked excuse. And it doesn't fly anyway because we were double-digit favorites, two touchdown favorites. And I'm not going to be fooled again. Like, this was... I talked about a damn break moment. This is the last straw for me and probably about 90% of the fan base, if not more. I, I, I was not seeing a lot of defense of Fuente. It was more, um, yeah, we're not going to be able to get rid of him, so just get used to it. And, and that's terrible because if you're asking me right now, this feels like a loveless marriage that we are stuck in. And we have to stay together for the kids and the kids is the buyout money. <laughs> like that, like this is going to go through. He's not going anywhere this year. Most likely he would no have chance. to lose every game down the stretch and well, well, we'd have to somehow to find the money him when he loses every game down the stretch. <laughs> right. And so it's probably going through next year. He is probably good through 2021. So I'll get that off right there. Does that mean that I want him here? No, I think we should find a way to get rid of him tomorrow because I am just appalled at what happened on Saturday. It was the most tragic ending, devastating ending I can remember of any football game I've almost ever watched. Maybe like the second miracle at the Meadowlands for Giants fans was worse when Deshaun Jackson ran it back on him. But it's one of the worst I can remember. And it all fell on the shoulders of the coach. All of it, every ounce. And so I'm done with this guy, man. His accomplishments over the past four years, I put them out on my Twitter. Five years, I guess we're in now. Uh, You know, five losses as double-digit favorites, six losses to unranked teams while a ranked team, three straight bowl losses, uh, losses to every in-state FBS team over the last three years, the worst recruiting class of the last 20 years, the only losing season of the last 27 years. It, it, It goes on and on and if you're not wiping your hands clean from this guy, you're just going to get fooled again. I'm going to leave a little silence because I, I think left that's you a, speechless. That's, that's no, it's it's all warranted and it's all legit. I mean, those are just those are just facts. Those aren't those aren't opinions. Those are just facts. Like so, when it comes down to opinions, he doesn't want to be at Virginia Tech. Well, and he doesn't honest, want to. It is honest to God, he does not want to be at Virginia Tech. If you talk probably about, not anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, just in general, and you can talk about people. French put out something today. A lot of people, a lot of us are boosters. We put out money and like go to these like stupid events where they're all like recruits show up. Sometimes they don't. Stuff like that. He doesn't actually like go over to recruits and like talk to them. Like he has, he wants to just play football. Right. And he, he wants to be want a, a football coach. Yes. Yeah. He should be in the NFL. Fuck him. Like he should just be in the NFL because that's what the NFL does is like, they just play football. They don't actually care about the players. They don't care about anything. It's a business, like those sorts of things. And, or he should just be out of Blacksburg. It's, it's incredibly, hard for like how good of a fit we thought he was going to be to now come to the realization of how bad of a fit he is for Virginia Tech. And you and I talked about the run game and we started getting into the run game. And now I realize, because I'm stupid, the run game was only because Herbert is so good (laughs) <laughs> it has nothing to do with like him. It has it has to do with and if you watch the runs, that's why I used to I tweet out a million times. I'm like Herbert is one of the most beautiful running backs I've seen in a long time, and that has nothing not, to do with sad. our running back development. That's nothing. exactly right. He came to Tech like that. Then you you go to the second guy, Raheem Blackshear. It's a giant drop off. You go to the third guy, Holston. Same giant drop off, maybe worse. And those Holston's the guy we've quote unquote developed. So yes, the only reason the traditional running back run game is good is because Her- Herbert was just the man when he got here, and he actually surprised Fuente. Fuente said that many times that like 
I didn't know he was this good and I didn't know he was this fast and all that stuff. So yes, the only thing that our offense running wise does well is run the quarterback, which eventually will get Hendon Hooker hurt. And so I'm, and listen, I love Hendon running the ball. He's doing a great job, but he runs it 20 times a game. He will not make it full seasons. He he won't make it, you know, the the rest of the season if he keeps running 20 times a game. There's going to be a weird thing that happens that he gets like clipped in the side of the leg. Like there's going to be something weird that happens just like of all football games. And but, yeah, it, we're getting the, only a little bit off track with this, but it, no, it all kind of leads me back to he just wants to be a head coach and have his boys employed, you know, Cornelson still at the helm, uh, and, and not be the leader of a big time program. And there's a key difference there. He just wants to coach football and you can't be that in the power five, especially at a school right now that is struggling to raise money is hemorrhaging cash due to COVID. We need someone out there with the boosters at fundraisers, trying to be uh, engaging and gregarious and the people pleaser, Mac Brown type. And, He's not that guy. And so I'll bring hard. up a few schools that I brought up last night, and I'm going to bring them up again. Arkansas, what's happening there? Incredible. You have a coach that's actually like invigorating people. If you go to UNC, they have had taken some tough losses, but it got a ton done on the recruiting trail. If you go to Indiana, a nice like like. These coaches, Boston College. I understand completely what you're saying about a coach who will appreciate the fan base. You need to take advantage of this fan base. And that's something that Joe hinted at in his article about what happened this past weekend on the key play. He called it the tipping point because it really was. And the fact that Fuente has always had this no access thing, you've got this fan base just dying for info, uh, you know, different opportunities to see what's going on with the team and be a part of what we've always been a part of with Frank at the helm. And he is just pissed all over it. And it hasn't really changed. He had like one week where he decided he was going to tweet at some people. He did an interview with Sons of Saturday. Great. That's great. But that's not going to raise a lot of money. You know, that's that's not going to endear you to a ton of people. There's so much more he could do and he just chooses not to do it. And what's been tough for me and I'm pro- I'm sure a lot of other fans too, is that after the Duke game, I wanted to hate him. I wanted him out. I almost wanted him to lose because I just wanted more of a reason for us to raise the money to get rid of him. So once we start winning, and I'm always going to root for Tech to win, I've been torn in these two di- different directions of like knowing he's not the guy, but also trying to be optimistic that just maybe we can turn it around and maybe if we start winning, the recruiting will tick up and Oh yes, the the new hires are going to really work out well, and I'm an idiot now. Like I look like an idiot because now everything that I thought last year, and maybe even after ODU, a lot of people did, is true. He is not, in my opinion, a good football coach, or at least not a good Power Five program runner. You know, he can't run a big time, big boy program. He clearly doesn't know how to do it. I think and- he could be a good coach but not on on the east coast. How's that? So he can't he can't recruit out here. He doesn't know. He's burnt bridges with a lot of the high schools and things like that. It, it's hard. I, even Frank kind of got into it and and Bud did as well with a couple of the high schools. Like you can't burn 757 bridges. Like you have to ingratiate yourself into that whole atmosphere and those players and what they need and what you can do to make them successful. And he's not it. In fact, the, the, the coaches that we had on the staff that were best at doing that are gone now. Well, you also are not showing anyone that you're developing very many recruits, at at least not anywhere except for maybe offensive line. I, I, this spices. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, that we're we're just getting too deep in the weeds for it. But yeah, there's there's a lot of reasons that I'd like to move on, and there's a lot of reasons that we probably aren't able to move on, at least not right now. And so we're going to be stuck in this loveless loveless marriage for at least the rest of the year. Yeah, and, then and maybe I, I do want to say that we're gonna we're gonna do our best to bring on some people that can talk about that financial aspect after the season is done. Um, and I'm gonna work hard at that, and I think. 
Pete and I have talked about that is to get somebody on that can talk about the financial aspect of what it would take to move on and why it's important to donate because donations actually provide flexibility. And there's been a lot of talk about what's going on in Tennessee and how terrible they are and how their, their ability to move on. It really has to do with their, the, the money aspect of it. So I think after the season is done, we'll see what happens. We'll see. Hopefully we just win every single game from here on out, except for Clemson, obviously. But I think that's going to be an important commentary that after the season we have to really address. And to that end, the timing of this loss, as worded by some of the higher-up boosters and stuff, couldn't be worse, as they put it. Like, literally, the timing couldn't be worse for something like this. It's kind of like when we lost to ODU right before the drive for 25 a couple years ago. Because no one wants to hear about donating right now. (laughs) Like, no one wants, like, where's their money been going? You know, people have been donating. People kept jumping, so to speak. You you kept jumping. You know, you're a season ticket holder. You still donated a, a chunk of change. And what good is it doing if we're losing on the field to Liberty? Like, I, I don't want to hear it takes time. I'm tired of that. It's year five. Year effing five. Uh, this head coach, 21 seniors. There is no excuse anymore. I don't want to hear a money excuse. Uh, we're playing effing Liberty and looking like shit the entire day. Not because of one timeout, not because of one choice at the goal line, because the entire day, we didn't bring our A game, and that's on the coaches. And it was so poetic, and this is the last thing I'll say before we take a break, that we lost the game because a Beamer ball score, our signature, was ripped from the scoreboard because of the new coach. It was it was poetic, man. All right, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. Took us a little bit longer to get to to the ad this week, but that's all right. I think Arash will forgive us. You were just at Dominion this past weekend, had a great experience, a little stopover uh, to finish off your anniversary weekend. It was awesome. The tents, I sent out a bunch of pictures and things like that on Twitter. I I sent out a ton. I think Arash just uh, liked it on, on Instagram. It was awesome. Like it's outside. If you want to bring your kids there, they have everything like walled off, like a huge parking lot that you can bring your kids out there, go play out there. The food was awesome. I got the dragon shrimp. The beer was good. I had the uh, the friends uh, Thanksgiving IPA. That was... Yeah, it was like six different breweries or something that combined to make a Friendsgiving beer. Yeah. Uh, was... I noticed one of them was a Jersey beer, Double Nickel, but there was Asala, a few other ones on there. Yeah, Solus was on there. Like, they just mashed together like five, and they created a great beer. Um, and, and you're I not going like... to be able to get that on tap most places. No, there, well, there's no chance you're going to be able to get that on tap most places. And that's what I was like trying to explain to my wife. She was like, Oh, well let's just go get like, you know, a can of it and you can bring it home. I'm like, that's not how this works. Like these are the places that you go to to get beers that you can't get anywhere else. That was awesome. Went inside, hung out with Mike, who was like behind the counter pointed me to, he said, what do you like? What are you like really interested in right now? Brought me to all the beers. It was uh, not just because of like their, them being our sponsor. It's just like the way you should be taken care of at a beer store to like listen to what you're saying. And then we went over to the wine and we went through like 10 wines with my wife and just figured out what, what was the right one for her. Um, it was... It was incredible. I mean, they do an incredible job. And it's definitely one of the best places around. Great place to sit and have a beer outside in the tents. You can watch the football games on the weekend. Grab a, a draft you can't get anywhere else. And pretty much the same thing goes up in Gaithersburg at Downtown Crown. They got an outdoor setup. They also have an indoor bar with a great tap list. Tons of rare beers that he fights Montgomery County to get all the time. So seriously you you will find things there that you that you really can't get at your typical grocery store run so make an effort to get to those places 370 and 270 in gaithersburg right where they meet is where downtown crown is the downtown crown shopping center and then on broad street you'll find dominion and like robbie said they got the outdoor setup sometimes they got live music out there uh, but they also do curbside pickup at both, both locations 
follow them both on Instagram. You'll see what they're getting in and you can put in your orders or just show up and, and relax and have a beer. Let's hop into the Miami preview. I know probably not many people are thinking about Miami too, too much right now. They're still kind of angry about Liberty, but we got to move on. We got a top 10 team coming into town. It's at noon on ESPN2. So we finally get like a real network. And it's, it's a, a halfway game that, near. <laughs> halfway. Yeah. Halfway. To the actual and uh, it's a game that now we're like got a bad taste in our mouth going into it. But last year, Miami was six and seven. They had the two, terrible end to the year. They lost the bowl game to, I think it was Louisiana Tech or someone, lost to FIU during the year. Uh, we beat them after the Duke debacle. So kind of a similar situation. We're coming off a pretty horrendous loss. And then we go down to Miami. We get the turnovers. Hendon's first start. And he just, he balled out. And we ended up holding on for dear life, but we won the game. Since then, Miami has revamped some things. They brought in a few more transfers, most notably their quarterback. They brought in Rhett Lashley, the offensive coordinator. He He's an up-tempo guy. Air raid concepts. Come, comes over from SMU. And they, I've been very impressed with what he's been able to do with De'Aaron King, with this offense. I didn't think it would be this good this quickly. I was kind of questioning it as well as everybody else. In Lashley is a very, very talented offensive coordinator, so there's there's no doubt about that. But to see you have two things happening, and we talked about this actually early on when we talked about Miami, is Lashley coming in and... King coming in at the same time and whether they were going to mesh together, guess what? It works. It actually works really, <laughs> really well. So uh, King has uh, over 1,800 yards passing, 64% completion per- percentage, 16 TDs, four interceptions, 406 yards on the ground on 82 carries, and another two, D- two TDs on the ground. I think they're meshing pretty well. Yeah, they're doing great. And last week against NC State, it was probably Miami's best offensive game of the year and definitely Derek King's best game. He had 535 total yards, five touchdowns, completed 75% of his passes, and had a 91 QBR, which was his best of the season. He was dropping some dimes in that game. It wasn't all about his running. Like He was finally really showing his arm talent. And he was getting it to Mike Harley and Jordan and Pope. And they've got all kinds of pass catchers. Cameron Harris, the running back, like he's a solid back. Like he's, he's pretty good, but I'm afraid of their bevy of different tight ends and wide receivers. Yeah. I'm extremely scared about that. And it's really, hopefully it's a signal to our defensive backs of what they're going to have to put up with in this game. Harley is amazing. 35 catches, 497 yards, four TDs. Pope, Jones, or Jordan, Wiggins, Mallory are all amazing. And the running back core with Harris is, it's still good. It's not the way that we usually think of Miami, but it's still very, very good. I, I'm Five really yards worried. to carry for him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's solid. And they got the two freshmen who are, you know, Knighton, they throw to a little bit. He's got 11 receptions. And Chain, two, I don't know if they're both true freshmen, but two freshmen that run the ball behind Harris. But it's just not as strong as you typically imagine Miami. Yeah, I agree with that. Their kicker is 13 for 14. Uh, and he made a 50-plus. And only his only miss was from a 49 or 40 to 49 uh, kick. It was probably, I think it was like 45. So it's... This is a tough offense for our defense to go up against. So um, that's where I'll leave it. It's it doesn't it's it's gonna be tough. These defensive backs for Virginia Tech really need to get their shit together. Otherwise we're gonna be in deep trouble. Yeah, the only thing that you can spot on this offense is a bit of a weakness is the offensive line because they're 117th in tackles for loss allowed per game. They're giving up almost nine per game, and they're 93rd in sacks allowed. So again, Miami's had this issue on the offensive line. Can our defensive line actually expose it at all? I don't know, but it's kind of nice to see not a super strong rushing team coming at us because we've been so poor against the rush. They're 56th in total rush offense and 58th in rush average. So 
that combined with the offensive line, we should hopefully be able to get in the backfield, get some sacks, put some pressure, and hopefully force a fumble or an interception. We, we've we got to get our havoc up in this game because we can't just let King pick us apart or run for 100 yards. If he if he runs for 75 yards or 100 yards, like we're probably going to lose. So we've got to put pressure on him. Or he'll do both. He'll pick us apart <laughs> like on short passes, and then he'll just run for it and, you know. Virginia Tech offense should know what that looks like because Hooker yes. can do that too. Is that's going to be troublesome? Let's get in this. Did you hear defense. the thing about how uh, Fuente's coaching the scout team this week? So I wonder I, I how much I don't want to that will affect the preparation. You know, because the scout team goes up against the D, you know. So it's just an interesting wrinkle. I, I you know, whatever. We'll see. It's a, it's a it's a little bit of. Um, it, it just shows prob- <laughs> it shows problems that are happening, right? Yeah. Like I wonder who normally runs the scout team offenses. That's what I'm curious yeah. about. That that would have been I'm replacing X, but he never said that. He just said I'm I'm the one taking it over. So right. let's get in this defense because I don't know if I can actually talk about that. I was so I was so pissed off when I heard that whole situation. It's like that if that's the gonna solve the problem, like that, right. that's that's the issue with the team is the scout team. Like Okay. Well, the defense for Miami is twenty second in the SP plus. Pretty solid defense. It's not the top ten, top fifteen unit they've been, uh, but still pretty good. Fifteenth in tackles for loss per game. So they're getting after the quarterback, they're getting in the backfield. And it's largely because of Quincy Roche and Jalen Phillips, two transfers that they brought in. So we're doing the transfer thing, but so are they. And they they brought in a lot more on the defensive side. Uh, Roche from Temple, 10 tackles for loss, five hurries in addition to his two and a half sacks, forced fumble, pass breakup, a bunch of tackles for a defensive lineman. And Phillips is imposing. 6'5", 266. He has over 11 uh, tackles for loss and hurries combined. He's got an interception, three pass breakups. He's tipping balls. That those those guys scare me on the defensive line. Miami always seems to get these guys, even though Rousseau opted out. They've still got a, a pretty studly defensive line. And Rousseau was he's arguably going to be a first round draft pick. I'm so no glad he's not on the good. team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So thank God he he's incredible. You stole all my talking points on what I was actually worried about, but I'll then I'll go back to the safeties. Uh, the safeties, Bolden, Carter, are both very, very good. Um, they lead the team in tackles, solo tackles between the two of them. Um, they have a one of them has a sack, obviously playing a little bit. Bud Foster kind of you know scoot up to the uh, defensive line and and an interception to boot. Uh, it was. It was hard to figure out what this is, but I think you and I both agree that for once the linebackers are not the the core of this defense because yeah. I think they're up front and their back are a little bit scary. I know you're a little bit less, uh, you know, I guess enthralled with their backs, but I think they do have some good DBs that can actually spell some of these players. But um, I don't I don't think the linebackers are as good as usually you would think about a Miami defense. Well, no, because they lost Quarterman, and they lost Pinckney, and they lost Finley, three seniors. Zach McLeod's the only guy of, of that like group that came in that remains. And he's not even really at the top of their list on any stats. Gilbert Frierson is the, is the leader from there, and he's a sophomore. 32 total tackles, seven tackles for loss for him from the linebacker position and three pass breakups. But I, I wanted to talk about Bolden briefly. You mentioned him, and he's the transfer from USC. He was like the five-star guy. I think he didn't like last that long. Was yep. he the one that like went to Texas for a minute too? Yes. He, uh, he transferred so, twice, I think. But he's really good. He's he's a very good player. He's added some punch because he has four tackles for a loss. You talked about him coming up to the line of scrimmage. And all of their DBs are juniors and seniors, at least the ones that play a lot. And so they're getting solo tackles. They know where to be on the field. And Manny, if nothing else – does run a pretty good defense, even if he's not a fantastic head coach. So they got a solid line, average to above average DBs, and average to below average linebackers, which I think is a plus for us. Uh, we'll see what happens. I think our offense is still going to be able to throw out points. Uh, and I guess we can get to our keys to the game. I'll let you go first. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to peel back to my next page here. I, 
I think my my keys will be much simpler. So why don't you give yours first? Well, mine. I hope Kh is back in the game. So like, <laughs> you know, I guess that that would be one of them. So. I do think they play off each other very, very well. I think in the screen passes are going to actually be important in this game. I know people get pissed off whenever we talk about that, like jet sweeps, core pass, like the screen passes, those sorts of things. People get angry, but I think that's going to be really important in this game just to expose whether the linebackers are actually ready. I don't, I don't want to throw the ball deep in this game. I don't think we need to. I think we need to run the clock uh, actually a lot against uh, Miami. They have a very talented offense, and our defense has been, even if they come out and play lights out, it's going to be a struggle. So I think we need to slow the clock down, run the ball, run screen passes, that those sorts of things, and then pick and choose when we're going to throw it downfield. I agree. I think the biggest thing about this game is getting the team up to play because we fell on our face last week and you know, the guys are probably (laughs) pretty down or at least were. And so how do you pick them back up? How do you get them going again? And it feels a lot like last year playing Miami after a tough loss. So is this going to be the Fuente bounce back game? He's 14 and five after losses. Do we just get the win based on the fact that he's really good after a loss? That's, <laughs> I think you hinted at it. Like, this shouldn't require you losing games to play well, but this team tends to do that. So it's all about can they motivate because I, I don't really know how this game's going to go. You can break down all the X's and O's and well, all that stuff. And we did that against Liberty. And if, you, and if it all came to fruition and played out like it did on paper, we should have won by two, three touchdowns. But we didn't because he didn't have the team ready to play. So will they be able to pick themselves up. I think that's that's what it's all about. And we do get the top 10 team in our house. It's a chance for a big win. It feels a little pointless, but our standings in the ACC didn't change last week. And if you were to win out, very unlikely, no, we would be in the don't ACC title game. Don't do this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I just thought I had to mention it. But yes, it feels a little pointless. A lot of people think, I've heard people say, I'm taking my mortgage out, putting it on Miami. You know, that's a joke. But we I saw won. this last year. I felt it. I felt like there was no way we we're going to beat Miami last year. And we came out and we won. We should be able to score points, no doubt. More of Herbert's back. I just, with uh, the way hamstrings are, the way they linger, I'm not optimistic about Herbert being back and being 100% effective. But we will score more points if he's back. But King can easily put up 30, 35, 40. So. In order for us to win this game, we need turnovers. Like, we absolutely need turnovers. We need to get after King. We need to hit him. So that's that's basically all I got on this. Uh, I'm hoping we can pull off the win. I don't want to see this season finish under 500. And if we lose this game, we're starting to stare that uh, down the barrel of a under 500 season. And so... I hope they can pull out the win this week for the for the kids' sake, for the for the players' sake. I really do because that was a really tough game to take last week. Let's get into these picks. We're going to rapid fire through these things because we are trying to speed up this one. Wake at UNC. UNC thirteen and a half point favorites at home. They just crushed Duke. What do you got, Robbie? UNC. I am going to go Wake. You changed <laughs> my, my Demon Deacon. You changed we'll it from last night. Did I? Did I? Okay. Yeah, I think I might. The lines are slightly different on some of these. That one was actually the same as last night, but I'm going to take Wake. Next game, Louisville at UVA. This got rescheduled. It was supposed to be last weekend. UVA, three point favorites. I'll go first. I'm going to take UVA. Louisville. And you took Louisville last night. I did. I did. I actually thought about that one today. And I don't know. UVA is starting to cook something up. Actually, I'm enjoying every moment of this. Notre Dame at BC. BC, 14-point underdogs at home. Notre Dame coming down off the huge win. I'm taking BC. You picked the same thing last night. So, yes, we're both BC. Pitt at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, 6.5-point underdogs at home. If you're a home dog in the ACC and you're getting more than three points, I think it's becoming a principal play. I'm taking Georgia Tech. Of course you would. 
I'm picking Pitt, and you'll get it wrong. Don't worry. Yes. <laughs> That's the thing. I still haven't gotten a Pitt pick right. I picked FSU last week, so I'm still you perfect in that department. every single Pitt pick. That's happened. Florida State at NC State. Uh, seven I'm points is the line. Actually, on this game. I'm going NC State. Uh, oh, gosh, actually, this is hard. It's a, it's an even seven. Um yeah, I'll take NC State. I, I don't feel great about it. But you I'll changed yours, State. and I just changed mine. I haven't changed any of my others. So we're both we were both FSU, but now we're both NC State. And last game we're going to pick outside the ACC. We're going to go to Michigan uh, first Wisconsin. It's actually in Michigan. Michigan four point underdogs at home, and they fell out of the rankings this week. Not a shock uh, to me because I didn't think they belonged in the rankings anyway, but. Uh, Indiana took them apart. I like Wisconsin. Everybody's thinking Wisconsin. If I was going to put my mortgage on anything, it would be Wisconsin. Yeah, which might mean that it's going to go the other way. <laughs> once, it, once it becomes if the darling Michigan pick. If Michigan figures out how to actually play football, that would be incredible. Well, like it's, If anybody wants to feel bad about Virginia Tech and what we've gone through, look at Penn State. Look at Michigan. That would be number two or maybe number one. Like there are a lot of big time programs that are really struggling. Yeah. Like, how really about Nebraska? Right <laughs> uh, but yes, the the thing with the Michigan game is how much COVID is Wisconsin dealing with? You know, because if they're missing half of their D line or half their O line, it could go the other way. And I think that's probably why the line is this close. All right, that's going to do it for the podcast. We did get some questions from Basil Safi, Nolia Hokey on Twitter, and Sam Jesse, and we are going to pass the buck on those until next week. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. We just we're trying to trying to finish this up. I'm heading out of town tomorrow, and uh, we're under a bit of a time constraint. And that's why you didn't get any beer reviews either. However, I did have an awesome beer last night from Cigar City called the Benwood, eight percent, a little bit of a tropical hazy double. It was fantastic. Benwood from Cigar City. What about which one did you like better last night? Which one did you like? Uh, it's hard. They were both delicious. So I actually had both of them again tonight. My my wife put them in the fridge. So I would say the craziest beer was the Metaphase. Was the beer that I had that was like the Drecker beer, and that was amazing. But they were both amazing. Like you had an Oma Gang, I think, last night as well. Yeah, Oma Gang. Yeah, I had the. Uh, philosophy and or philosophy and velocity and it was an east coast edition and it was a both of them were mashups and amazing beers but i'm gonna hit both of them on the next podcast because they deserve they deserve their they deserve their shout outs because both those beers are that good and i got both of them from our sponsor nice you got them at dominion sweet all right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. You can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. 2DVT at gmail.com is the website uh, or the email address. You can send us anything. 2DVT.com is the website. Stream all the podcasts. Check out Robbie's new stats pages. He just finished updating them last week, and they're awesome. You, They're now interactive. You can click and see what the numbers actually are in each chart. There's all different kinds of ones you can sort by player or by season and you did a great job on yeah, that. So definitely I put go out to the head, site and check this out. Hooker, so you can go just see what Hen and Hooker stats are, and that's everything I've tracked for him. I thought about doing it for every player, but I don't think anybody's gonna actually scroll to that. So like you can look at Hen and Hooker, you can look at stats by season, just all the quarterbacks for Virginia Tech, or you can look by, you know, actually the quarterbacks in comparison to each other. So um, you may not like it. I love it. <laughs> I'm sure people will like it. You can also stream the podcast and check out all the beers we've had on the site. So make sure to rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcast, and I think that's it. Until next time, when hopefully we pulled off a big top 10 win, go Hokies. <laughs>